0: Hello, and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and this is episode 82. Well, friends, we're gathered here today because Apple has made its usual list of GAAD-themed accessibility announcements, and I wanted to go through those with somebody else who watches this stuff as closely as I do, and that is Stephen Scott. He is the host of Double Tap on uh, radio and podcast via AMI. Stephen, welcome back to Parallel.
1: Oh, thank you, Shelley. Lovely to be here.
0: Always great to have you. It's exciting when we have uh, GAAD announcements. It's like we get to do something before all the WWDC coverage gets started. It's like, you know, (laughs) let us uh, applaud the trail for you. And the rest of you guys can just wait while we talk about accessibility for a few days.
1: Exactly. I love that. I I think that's what's wonderful about all this, this whole time of year uh, for us. Because, you know, we get a company like Apple who notoriously see nothing before events. And then all of a sudden they announce all this stuff just for us. I love it.
0: I read a lot of the coverage yesterday. The things we're going to talk about, and it comes in various flavors. But my favorite was there was one where you could kind of tell people were a little jealous. It was like, wait, why did the accessibility mm. people get the early announcements? It's like, you know what? It's our <laughs> turn. Just let us have this. Let us enjoy.
1: Yeah, and also I think it, it goes back to this point, and I kind of wish I kind of wish more was made of this. But unfortunately, mainstream tech media doesn't quite join the dots that it isn't for. A group is for everyone. You know, the accessibility bit doesn't require a special four-digit code that you only get when you're classified as disabled, you know, and, and right. maybe maybe it should, but <laughs> but no, I mean, it well, doesn't, right? It's for everybody.
0: Right. And, and I always have mixed feelings about how to express that because that's absolutely mm. true. The other side of that is I think there's a tendency in the mainstream world to want to find a point of connection for everyone. And so the things that really are specific to people with disabilities aren't really covered in terms of like how important they may be to that yes. particular group. So yeah. it's really, it's like a hard line, but, and I, which is why I'm happy that I get to talk in both like accessibility focused environments as well as in the mainstream world. Cause I try to like split that difference a little bit and introduce to the mainstream world, you know, why these things are important to the people that they're designed for, but also, hey, this is an indication of what Apple might be thinking of from a technological point of view or how it could apply to everybody, whether they have a disability or not.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you think about something like low vision features like, you know, magnification or large text, clearer type, whatever it might be. And you can sort of find that bridge point between you and the mainstream. That is very easy to do. But then, of course, the problem is when you get to something like Braille screen input, which is an incredible feature on the iPhone, mainstream media wouldn't know what to do with that because, and they wouldn't really report it because it's not really something that's going to engage or indeed be understood by the general public. So it's it's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? And, and that's that depth you're talking about is the depth and the product that this is where these shows that we do come in because we need to be able to get into that depth for our audience.
0: Right, and then I always say that the best way mainstream... Press can probably cover it. Is to have people like you and me comment on it, so that we can point out what are the things that are important to our community. We understand how these technological evolutions impact us and impact everybody else. But but maybe we, we might say something like, Braille screen input is a well, it's not, but Braille screen input is a new thing and it's really awesome. And and here's why, without getting into the details of eight bit eight dot Braille and six dot Braille and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think that is the lesson that I always try to offer to people is if you're in the mainstream press, get somebody with a disability who follows this stuff to cover it or to, well, to, that to would at be least nice. comment on it. Yeah, yeah well, that
1: would be the really nice. That's why part, I stick my
0: it? nose in all sorts of places, Stephen. I just yeah, quite right. I stick my I, I'm like, hello, hello, I'm over here. Let me let me talk to you. Well,
1: they're not anyway. going to invite you in, are they? <laughs> let's be honest. That's the and that's just fact, right? You're not going to get the kind of oh, listen, let's employ you. This would be great. Well I often find, and I'm sure you've experienced similar is when you talk to publications about doing stuff, they'll say, oh, well, we're doing a special week on mm, accessibility, yeah. so why don't you do something for that? And I say, yeah, but what about the rest of the year? You know, And right. that, that's what I love about what we do, because I can say quite quite cleverly on my show, as you can, yeah, you know, Global Accessibility Awareness Day is one day of the year, but you know what? We do this every day. And exactly. it's important that that exists.
0: And what I what I do, I sort of modulate this thing of like when I get excited about these Global Accessibility Awareness Day announcements, I am genuinely glad that Apple does it and focuses on our needs mm. and our issues. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to always... I don't want to equate – I don't want the announcements to always appear equal. Some years are better than others, and some features are more innovative than others, and that's great. And what I want to do is evaluate those things fairly instead of just – Being thankful for crumbs. I want to be able to say, all right, if you're going to focus on me, well, I'm going to give you some fairly complex opinions, at least based on the previews. And we obviously haven't seen any software. So we're as much in the dark, so to speak, as as anybody would be on any other sort of features. But we have opinions. And that's why we're here.
1: I like opinions. I have many
0: Oh, good. Well, let's talk <laughs> about some of the uh, the most important features. And, and you and I cover blindness and, and low vision mostly. But the features this year, I think, that are the most uh, noteworthy uh, are in other categories. So I think we'll start there. The mainstream press always kind of picks one out. And I understand this. And when I wrote this up for Six Colors, which is a mainstream outlet, uh, this is what I focused on. Uh, personal voice, mm. which if any other company but Apple was talking about it, would be this is our AI thing. Because what personal <laughs> yes. voice does and, – and I love Apple's uh, – they do did, they did not say AI anywhere in their press release, and I bet nope. you they won't. And I, I was talking to somebody a week or so ago about WWDC predictions, and, and they were predicting, oh, well, so they'll, they'll talk about AI. And I said, no, they won't. They won't say AI because it's Apple. Uh, so, so let me tell you what this is. So, personal voice—it's a feature that's—it's really a clever idea. It's intended for somebody who is at risk of losing speech. So, particularly a person with an ALS diagnosis who knows that that is a possibility, but continues to have access, have speech. And so, what they can do is train their iOS device to understand and then replicate their voice. You spend fifteen minutes reading on your iOS device, and it's recorded, and that t- essentially turns into a voice print that can then be used in um, live conversations or in apps, in augmentative communication situations, so that you're hearing, uh, as the recipient, uh, the voice of this person who may no longer be able to speak. And it's such a clever idea. It's, it's similar to what we've seen with AI-generated voicing systems, from like from 11 labs, but we've applied it really specifically to a disability context.
1: Yeah, and this is a really difficult area, because when you talk about this, especially when you talk about third-party companies like, for example, Eleven Labs, there's always a danger or a concern or at least a fear that someone will take your voice. I mean, you and I, for example, we have lots of recordings scattered all over the internet. Mm -hmm. People could take that and they could turn your voice into a text-to-speech voice and then, in theory, then use that for whatever purposes they want. I'm not suggesting anybody do that. Although, in fairness, I did try my voice on 11 labs and I sound like a very posh English person and not (laughs) a clearly not posh Scottish person um so you know it didn't quite work for me and I think that's something which will grow over time they've obviously got the dialects to work out and the other aspects of outside of US English Uh, but you know it is clearly clever but you know there's always that privacy concern there's always those things going on and I see some people asking this question today about personal voice with Apple. Will this be something that you know anyone could then have their voice taken and used? But t- to my mind, there's two things here. One is it's Apple, so you know security, privacy, generally built in and done very well. Uh, and also, you have to sit and read into that device. So you know if you're going to you know grab someone and force them to read for 15 minutes off a screen then okay. But I don't think that's as likely, to be perfectly honest. So, you know, this is very much a personal thing. This is for you. This is for your voice. Uh, we are in an interesting time with this because how do we know that it is the voice that we, you know, want it to be or we hope it is or, you know, that we hope our voice isn't being used for that? I don't know, is it is the honest answer. Maybe, well, maybe I shouldn't say this, but maybe you would create a TTS and make it read. I don't know. But I think it's just a really interesting thing. And I know people will always be concerned about the privacy and security, but when it comes to Apple, I think they just do this right. And this is going to have a major impact on a lot of people. And I've already seen people saying, you know, getting very emotional about it, talking about, you know, their mum, for example, maybe someone's mum had passed away and they say, you know, I just wish I had this. I wish I had something like this that I could then have that voice. Uh, Because of course, then we get into the subject of once people start doing this, the legacy that follows it. and and how that can then go into the future. Uh, This is something we're starting to come around to with the idea of digital legacies now. So, you know, this is going to have a profound impact beyond just the moment of replacing someone's voice after they've lost it, but actually what will happen in the future.
0: Yeah. Apple has said that the uh, voice information, the training will happen on device. And my guess is that for that reason, you're not going to be able to use those voice prints to send them to 11 labs, for example, or to to apply them. to. uh, My guess is it's a very closed infrastructure of how this stuff is applied. And and Apple especially, and sometimes to its detriment, but not in this case, in my opinion, uh, sometimes accessibility stuff is kind of Walled off. And people mm. sort of feel resentful of, oh, I have to go three layers deep into accessibility to do this. But I think this is designed for a specific purpose. Will it have other applications? Absolutely. Especially including the, the kinds that you were talking about. I also thought of, and this is, this is such a minor thing when you compare it to a person with ALS who could provide a voice print for so that they could communicate when they're no longer able to in, with speech. But I can imagine people using this for art. I can imagine people, you know, using their voice telling telling stories or creating mm. something that does form a legacy or has some way of applying their own voice to things that they never thought possible. And uh, yeah, you're not going to be able to make a Siri or voiceover voice with this. So, uh, will not there yet. be applications in the future? Maybe one day. Yeah, maybe. Um, and I don't. I actually don't think I want my own voice. Being Siri, I think that would be weird.
1: So my co-host, on, my co-host and Double Tap, does he wants to have his own voice on his <laughs> own device at uh, talking to him, which I think is an extreme form of narcissism.
0: That's that's something. I don't know what it is. It's kind of weird. I, I can imagine. <laughs> no, not me. I, I, I have a, a sister whose uh, kids are all, uh, well, they're they're adults now, most of them, but uh, when they were younger, when they all had uh, iOS devices, they were all on Find My. Their parents were very concerned about, you know, keeping track of them and making sure that, and I, I can imagine their father deciding that he was going to be the voice of their iPhone. So that whenever mm. you talk to Siri, <laughs> it would be dad <laughs> saying, no, that sushi restaurant is too far away. You can't drive there.
1: <laughs> but imagine if you could take this and say you're a soldier and you're off in the army and maybe your are mom or a dad and, and you're in the Army somewhere, and you just don't have connection for a period of time, but you're still able to essentially read a story to your child back home. Oh, that's How so cool amazing. would that be? I love You it. know, so obviously there are so many applications here, right? And the the key applications very easily we look past the purpose, and we kind of go, yeah, great for people who have ALS, but also, but you also have to kind of stop just for a moment and just realize the impact that that is going to have on people. Who are losing their voice? They are losing that connection with themselves, and indeed, their families will be able to continue that, and so will they. So, despite that disability, they will actually be able to to be heard with their own voice, and that is really, really impactful. We all we all we often talk about, you know, the the, the voice of the voiceless. You know, the people who just don't who can't speak up for themselves. Well, you know, this is literally that this is giving yes. you that chance yes. and, and having that taken away from you is so cruel. And if this can can solve that to some degree, that's great.
0: And I actually imagine that if you lose your voice, you perhaps forget what you sound like and that hearing your own voice might be comforting and might remind you of better times. And uh, I, I don't know, I just I think it's I think it's great. And I I feel like it, it, it is one of those features, as I say, that, that, that can function as a proof of concept for other ways this technology can be used but the actual real purpose that apple has given us for it is so worthy and so clever and i i don't think you can you can have all sorts of arguments about ai and i have them but I, i think this is if it's going to exist in the world this is an excellent reason for it to exist yeah definitely well, let's talk about assistive access, which is another one that I think can – it's, it's uh, pitched as a feature for people with cognitive disabilities, and I'm sure it will benefit them greatly. My thoughts immediately went to older people. I have a mother who's over 90 years old. But assistive access is basically a simplified interface for iOS, and your home screen, instead of having maybe 24 or 30 icons on it and a dock and widgets and everything, basically just has – Six or eight or however many squares that are large icons that represent apps, or that, or it can be text based if you want to be want it to be, and then particular apps that Apple has created, uh, like Calls, which is a combination of FaceTime and phone and music and photos and messages, have simplified interfaces so that it's not so complicated for somebody who has a cognitive disability to get around. Uh, the person with a disability or somebody who is supporting them or care caring for them can customize the interface. So for example, in calls, you can have a particular circle of contacts and put a picture there and it says mom and sis and doctor and whoever you want. And I, I uh, love what they have seem to have done with camera and music, photos of music, because those are hierarchical kinds of interfaces. And I was explaining to my mother over the weekend, oh, this is how you find the photos you want. She had take just taken a photo and she wanted to send it. She has macular degeneration in addition to sort of having a little cognitive decline. She wanted to send the most recent photo she had taken to her friend in messages and she couldn't find it for the life of her. And I was like, well, you have to find all photos and then you have to go. And, and it's just like, this is a flatter interface that feels like for the intended audience, it's great. And then also for, for seniors, too.
1: I think that's the thing, isn't it? That, you know, the, the application here, again, is just incredible. I, and I think about my own mother as well. And it's funny, we often attribute age to this. I don't know how uh, wrong that is in this occasion. Um, of course, it's not just about age. It's about people who have the what they call the high cognitive load, which is where mm-hmm. you just all this information, as you say, is just too much for them. But I I can also see some value here for us voiceover users because I'd quite like just a very simple list form of apps on my home screen, almost right. like the way my Apple Watch is laid out. I have the grid list option uh, set, not grid, uh, list option, I should say, uh, on my Apple Watch. And it just gives me a list of apps. That's it. I just go through them. I pick the one I want and I'm in. I guess uh, I'll be interested to see two things. One, how the... Third-party apps work into this, and is something I questioned Apple on because I'm thinking, okay, how will see my banking app compare here? It's not going to uh, recreate itself into this um, easier format. I guess maybe that's something that the developer themselves could do, which would be interesting. Um, Apple weren't very clear on this, but I imagine it would be possible. What they did say, though, is that the design where everything else on the screen is gone and you have a, a consistent back button throughout the entire uh, interface, which is at the bottom of the screen, that would remain even on apps that are not, let's say, configured for assistive access. So that'll be interesting to see how that actually works Mm. in practice. Um, Or will it be able to just consume the app and turn it into its own interface? I mean, I often think about the Apple TV experience and how similar the experience is across across all the apps, the style and the layout. Is that something that Apple have defined and the developers build in? I don't know.
0: I have a lot of questions about the sort of inner workings of it. And I think that's the trouble sometimes when you get these previews. And also, frankly, when you're talking with Apple, because they tend not to get into the specifics. I wonder things like, is it like guided access in the sense that once you're in the simplified interface, you're only in the simplified interface and you don't run the risk of encountering apps or parts of the home screen that aren't available to it. Uh, but And I wonder about third-party apps too. And I'm sure that developers are going to have to to do this. I can't imagine that there's any way that iOS would intuitively simplify that interface because they've, there's two, even in the simple examples that we've seen, like photos and images or messages, uh, there's really specific change made to the hierarchy of the way those apps typically work. And so the developer is going to have to cooperate. And I think what that means is you're going to have apps that are no brainers because they're going to have a built an audience that it's understood, and I can't actually think of one at the moment, but you're going to have an audience that's understood to include elders as well as perhaps people with cognitive disabilities. But your banking app might not be one of those things. Uh, Mm. You would want it to be. uh, and, And it will be interesting once the sort of language of development is out there in the world, do we have the ability, as we do with apps for voiceover, to go to an app developer and say, could you please make one that supports assistive access. And it, it's going to be interesting. That's what we'll learn a little bit about maybe at WWDC. If third-party apps are a thing, is it early? Is it late enough for them to talk about it? Is there going to be a session about how to develop an assistive access app? I honestly have my doubts. I can imagine it coming up, but I feel like this is so early on. And since there's nothing developers can you know, code against right now, I kind of wonder if we're going to have to wait a year or so before that. Ha- it feels like this might be kind of slow rolling yeah. out for anything outside of third-party apps.
1: But like you say, you know, those initial apps, the Apple apps themselves that have already been customized for it, will be brilliant, and that for some people might just be enough. Yes. I mean, I think, it, and, and we can probably all think of someone in our lives and our families who we just want to give an iPhone to, but we're very nervous of how they will be able to deal with it because there's so much, so much potential for things to go wrong not because there's anything inherently wrong in the design, but that th- it's designed to, with a, a, a sense of knowledge that comes with it. And and if you, you kind of just sometimes, sometimes think, oh, I wish I could simplify this yes. so that I just say literally hit, hit my face on the screen and it'll call me. Right. Um, many people would like to hit my face, Shelley. I have no <laughs> doubt in that. <laughs> not um, me, Stephen. <laughs> you no, know, not you. Obviously that would be terrible, but no, honestly, it, it just, I think the potential here is huge. The interesting thing though is um I, I think back to an app, which I remember talking to the company who developed it based actually here in Scotland called Open Planet Software. But yeah, they, they make an app called Just Press Record.
0: Oh yeah, I've heard that.
1: Yeah, it's really, really popular app. And of course what's great is it records on Mac, on iPhone, on uh, Apple Watch as well. And uh, it all syncs up and you transcribe the audio. Really nice app. But uh, And it is paid, just to say that as well. But the thing is, Uh, they had real issues because they wanted it to look a certain way on the Apple Watch. And they couldn't, for voiceover users, it just wasn't working for them. It was just too much on the screen, didn't make sense. They just wanted a big record button. And what they did was when they actually built it so that the API, when it recognized you were using voiceover on the Apple Watch, the interface changed to actually make it possible just to have a single big record button. Everyone else could get the nice fancy look and all the design that goes with it and makes it look all nice and fancy, but the blind people got what they actually wanted, which was just a big record button. And I think seeing that happen years ago makes me think that this is something that they've either already put into place and could certainly implement for assistive access as well. When that is turned on, the apps just change and you know adjust to suit. I hope that's the case.
0: I would assume that that's how it would work in terms of the practice of switching between the, the traditional interface and the assistive access interface. But I, I think you still have to have a developer develop an assistive access layer for it, yes. uh, which isn't a bad thing. It just means that's something that we as advocates and Apple and the developers themselves are going to have to be thinking about. But I agree with you that also that the basic apps, the Apple-supplied apps, are going to get you a huge way there. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do about web browsing uh, and I don't know. Like, and I think of things like like alternatives to call alternatives to the FaceTime uh, phone thing because my mom has issues with Zoom, uh, mm. but she has to use it because her church uses Zoom and so she'd like to be in those uh, 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 services. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see and you know, what developers step up And say, hey, this is something that that we want to do. And then, like I say, I have questions about how sort of closed is the assistive access loop? In other words, can you inadvertently get out of it without meaning to? And I assume that's I wonder that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I assume that's not the case. But uh, you know, I, I think about things like in terms of how people interact with it in the real world. The one last thing I'll say is this is something that's been available indirectly in Android for a long time because Android supports third-party launchers. And so that's mm. how you have things like the Jitterbug phone, which is a simplified version of a of an Android phone that, that has basically been skinned to use a simplified interface for the equivalent of the home screen. And then there are simplified apps as well. And I've thought for a long time that this is the would be a great way for people to be able to give iPhones to folks who have issues with cognitive load, whether it's based on age or lack of experience with technology or whether it's based on a disability. And so I'm really excited to see this. And I feel like, again, this is a 1.0 thing. So we're probably all going to find things that we would like to see improved. But it's been a long time coming. In fact, there's a rumor about a year ago that this was happening. And I got all excited. And I told somebody I was writing things for, oh, we're going to write about the alternative accessibility uh, interface to the home screen. And they were like, okay, just tell me when that ships and it, and it didn't so apple seems to have taken its time uh, to that was in a beta happen. wasn't
1: it it was code within a beta i think 16.2 yeah, right. it popped up in an ios it was 16. called 16. but it,
0: but there was yeah there weren't actually any features and of course apple no. was like no you, you got ahead of yourself people
1: <laughs> they're you probably had the, you had the court it. artist who was sort of drawing the whole thing up you know giving you the yeah this is what i think it might look like Uh, But we didn't have a clue. I mean, there was an example of this in Samsung phones as well. They had the easy mode option, which was interesting. And in the UK, we have a specialist option, which may be uh, international. I don't know. It's called Synaptic, uh, which is, uh, again, using Android devices with that customized software. The problem, though, is, and and it's been my big bugbear for a lot of this software, once you go into the third-party apps, the experience changes. So, for example, Mm -hmm. you're inside, say, something like Synaptic, you've got speech, you've got large text, everything is easy to use, it's easy to see, it's easy to hear. And then as soon as you go to a third party app, you're dropped into the world of TalkBack. And if you don't know that world, you know, you, are, you may as well be at sea. And that's what i have been interested to see what happens with this feature, because it sounds to me as if they are trying to keep you inside that world. But how will that work with apps that are not customized for it? So we'll see.
0: Right, because the whole way guided access works is you can basically mask off parts of the interface you don't want people to have access to, but they only have access to one app. You can't say, mm. okay, you can go into this other app that's fine, and so people will use it in school environments, which is great. You say, okay, we have this one learning app that we use, and we've even masked off some of the buttons in that. But if somehow you get out of it, which you can't unless you triple click or, you know, unless you unless you have a, the ability to get out. Stand but then on your you're, heads, wait yeah, a few times, yeah. <laughs> that, that's how I do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: sure. That's the gesture. I,
0: <laughs> Let's talk quickly about one last speech feature. I, I'm kind of trying to do these in order of like mm. wow factor. Uh, mm. Live speech, which somebody uh, made analogous to type to spirit, Siri, but basically the idea is you type, and then what you type is spoken aloud. So the example that Apple is giving is like for a coffee order, or I guess for a, for a greeting. If you have, it's not intended as an interactive. Translator. It's in, intended as a, I have speech, things that I say commonly that I might find difficult to say because either I don't have speech or my speech is limited or difficult to understand. And so I can, you know, show the screen to somebody and press the button and it will say, I'd like a triple latte with soy milk and froth or whatever. Um, so this is just an interesting addition. Uh, I, I guess I'm curious about, yeah, how, interactive it's going to be and, and how valuable it's going to be because yeah coffee order is a great example but how many other examples are there like that are there are there enough things that somebody might want to say on an ongoing basis that they would like have them saved up and then be able to manipulate that interface so that they could be understood
1: yeah how many uh, how many phrases can you keep and how many yeah, can you know. use at the same time yeah i mean this is for people obviously who are nonverbal and also for people who are teenagers basically who you know never speak they never say anything anymore <laughs> Uh, So this is for them as well. You can use this now. You can actually communicate because that's what teenagers don't do very well. Um, So especially these days, because their heads are stuck inside their phones. But I think this could be really cool. Um, And I think what has been interesting is the development of personal voice into that feature as well. So not only can you respond, if you want to, you can talk in your own voice. Right. So that's, again, that brings the same feature for someone who has lost their voice and is able to recreate it. This is also bringing it to people who can't speak, maybe, or, or don't speak much at all. Uh, if they're able to record their voice, then they can use it equally. If they can't, it, like if they're non completely and have no speech, then you can use the, the speech in the device and, you know, you can use it for that purpose. I think it feels like one of these features that has limited use, but Again, it's like you know we I, we could say that about any accessibility feature. If we're not using it, right, we yeah, can always absolutely. look at it and think that's well, whatever. But actually, for someone who needs it, it could be everything. And that's I think that this might be one of those features.
0: Absolutely, and I I do think the community of people that wants this feature is going to find the best ways to use it. And and you and I, as people who use our speech for a living all day long, we, we are probably not the that. best. Right. We're entirely <laughs> too verbal. And maybe the, people are just going to hand, say, hey, could you use this, please? Could you be quiet and let yeah, your phone you use the talking, device? Talking, talking shorter <laughs> phrases. We like that.
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs>
0: Well, let's uh, let's talk about the latest detection feature. This is now we're talking about features for blind and low vision folks. This one is called point to speak and it adds to the list of detectors in the Magnifier app for people who have lidar equipped devices. So last year we got door detection, we had people detection before and now we have point and speak. Which is it took me a second to understand it when I was first encountering it, but it is not like live text and voiceover as much as it is. You basically uh, show the magnifier app a thing that has text labels or text on a display, and you run your finger over that part of the display, and the uh, and voiceover will read to you uh, what the the label is. So you could use it for a vending machine or for a microwave or for incidental text that occurs in in labels where actually no knowing specifically on the the device where the text is, is going to help you use it.
1: Yeah, I I mean, again, this is one of these features which is wonderful. I I find it a bit weird that it's inside the Magnifier app. I don't know why all these things end up in there, because I'll be honest, as someone who doesn't really use the visuals as much anymore, the Magnifier app is not something I would generally go into. So, you know, to to, to sort of learn that there's all these suites of the suite of features in there that I could benefit from and point and speak is definitely one of them. I mean, how many kitchen appliances do we have that we just don't know what the buttons are? And being able to point at it and have that read back uh, is interesting. I I will say though it's text specific. So if it's a symbol, I don't know how it will behave with that. It may be, and a lot of these devices nowadays don't have text, they just have symbols. So it says it's using on-demand, on uh, machine learning, it's also using the camera, it's using the LiDAR scanner, all that stuff to be able to put the picture together. But if it's not able to interpret, and this is where the AI bit comes in, if it could interpret those little symbols, then that would be interesting. Um, You know, I used uh, an example of this, which I thought was quite um, pertinent to this, was I was using uh, Seeing AI in a hospital uh, and i was trying to find my way out of the hospital and i was using seeing ai in the instant text feature i was holding up the phone and it was speaking to me and saying exit the problem was there were three ways i could go straight <laughs> left or right and i thought hmm which one is the exit and of course what it, the camera couldn't interpret was the symbol telling me it was left right or straight on and this is where it falls down so we will see how this behaves but it seems to be text specific so this is OCRing what it's seeing but as you point it will actually tell you that button if it can read the text on it so that is interesting that's, that's I think it's a great feature
0: yeah, I, I have several thoughts. First of all, I think the name sounds like some sort of Fisher-Price toy. Uh-huh. Point and speak. Yep, I don't I, – I I Shelley, do you have a better idea? No, but I find it odd and it doesn't sort of fit in with the detection because we have door detection, people detection, image description. Yeah, I find the putting Button them in detection. the magnifier a little weird too, not not even because I don't – and I have low vision that is functional low vision, but I don't use the magnifier a lot either for a number of reasons. But I, I think one of the issues is that adding these things to magnifier is sort of bloating the interface. Magnifier's interface is really not intended for all these things. There's already a lot behind those buttons. In fact, it was funny because I was, uh, when I was writing my, my book about iOS accessibility, I had to document this and I had to figure out how to use it. And the number of steps that I had to describe in order to find and use door detection was surprisingly high. And you can bring some of that stuff up to the top. You can create macros and what is essentially macros, which is basically like, okay, put a button on the top that will give you access to the setting. Yeah, you can
1: surface the the setting, yeah.
0: Yeah, but but the interface is just not, Magnifier as an app is not designed for that. And it feels like they're continuing to dump a lot of things in that app That might be better either in their own app or as an augment to camera. I don't know. Um, I'm just finding it a little, I'm finding it a little convoluted at this point.
1: It's not found its home yet. I don't know if that's because there's something coming that will give it its home. I mean, Even the camera app would make more sense to bury this stuff in, you know, because at least then it kind of makes sense. You know, camera. Yeah, okay. I'm using the camera for all this stuff, so that makes sense. Maybe these options appear when you turn them on. Maybe you can customize them in a in some kind of way. I, I don't know, but it doesn't seem to me sensible to have it in the magnifier. But, but I don't know. We'll we shall see. Apparently, text detection is coming to magnifier as well. Now, I thought that was already there, but apparently, it's so going too. to be coming as well. So that's this is a new. Well, one that's, that, well that's interesting.
0: Farther. Right. So, so if somebody who is and I, if somebody is using voiceover, they can get text detection went through the camera. I guess it only makes sense it's coming to... Magnifier, but yeah, I'm I'm stumbling because I'm thinking, wow, that what what's the right way to do this? Yeah, it it seems know. like maybe some sort of camera over whether it's camera magnifier, some sort of overlay mode where you can say, okay, these are the four settings I use all the time, plus voiceover. And like and that's that's the weird thing too. Magnifier is not a natural app for a person who's totally blind to get into. Why would yeah. I get into magnifier, have no vision? For somebody who's low vision, maybe you get into magnifier, but you're not typically a voiceover user. And mm-hmm. things like door to detection will give you visual indicators of doors, but the real meat of the information that these detectors give you is via voiceover. And so I'd like some sort of ability to say, okay, the way I want to use this is only when magnifier's on, turn on voiceover and give me access to point and speak and, oh, image uh, door, door detection. Let's say I don't need people detection. So just give me the ability to customize the experience I want. Because if I open up magnifier to check door detection, I have to remember to turn voiceover on as well, which I can do. I have as a, as a triple click. Uh, but it, yeah, it does seem like it's just has not quite found its home uh, and And they keep adding features because they keep coming up with things that lidar can do, and again, as I keep saying about these lidar features, they really do sort of lean us toward what Apple might be doing in a larger context, whether it 's via headset or whether it 's some other mm. uh, you know detection type feature and all that 's interesting I just was that was, think that was the particularly... first thought i had I must say, that yeah. was the
1: first thought I had when I had to point and speak. I thought this would be a perfect accompaniment. A pair of glasses, right? But then Absolutely. I suppose you could think that about anything. That's the problem. You can yeah. you can read into this too much, and we still don't really know what is coming. I know we're going to get to that, but you know we still don't really know what what's coming down the line.
0: Yeah. The, the last thing I wanted to say about the the text part uh, where, where you're saying, yes, this is text specific. It's not detecting symbols, although that mm. could easily be folded in a software update. I can see something like that happening, especially yeah. since microwave was the example that Apple themselves focused on. So you can see where a common symbol I think about one of the mains of my existence as a low vision person are those vending machines where it's essentially a fountain. And you uh, have a touch, and you you get your fountain drink with a touchscreen, and so you press Coke or Dr Pepper or Sprite or whatever it is, and all of those buttons are the logos of the product. The Coca Cola logo is famously a scripty text, uh, and Sprite is different than that, and Dr Pepper is different than that, and Fanta or whatever soft drink beverage is available to you. And so, I guess I wonder, at the most basic level, how tolerant of different kinds of fonts and different backgrounds and the like, is is this thing going to be hopefully pretty good? And then secondly, is it going to be fast enough? Because I've noticed some slowdown with door detection, even on a 14 Pro Max. Is it going to be fast enough so that as my finger moves across the button, is it accurately going to tell me where my finger is in real time? Because it has to read the text, then it has to translate it to voiceover so I can hear it. So I have to be pretty slow with my finger movements to make sure I don't get out ahead of it. Mm. Yes,
1: tricky, isn't it? tricky but yes. well, it'll be interesting to see i have to tell you though i don't know if you saw this one um but i was thinking about you when i uh, saw this feature that and it, i have very little information on this so i can only literally give you a couple of words <laughs> but i think those words will give you enough and uh, someone who uses zoom as i imagine you do quite a lot uh you might like this because I, I used to use zoom a lot and um one thing that really irritated me was when you tried to use it with more than one monitor uh, it didn't really work very no. well. Yeah, uh, That is looking to change because they've got a feature hidden away in this list of features coming. Multi-monitor zoom
0: that's exciting. It is. I don't know what
1: that means. And like I say, I've got three words, that's it. But right, if right. it's what I think it is, it's, that sounds brilliant. If it's what brilliant. I
0: think it is, it's it should be a good thing. Yeah, I've had that experience. And you should be able to customize it so that you may not want to zoom on both monitors simultaneously. You might yes. want, as I often do, to zoom in on just what you're looking at. I, I have had a two monitor setup back when I was doing more websites than I am now. And the second monitor was things like mail and things like my website statistics so things i didn't have to look at constantly and the stuff i was doing close work with was on my close up monitor and yeah. i would zoom in on my close up monitor and then all of a sudden my website statistics are like 300% larger than they need to be <laughs> it's like that is and i'm also i'm conscious of being in this open office and this sort of mm, everyone screen sees everything. And, <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, the example I the example I often think about was when I started doing TV stuff and I only did it for a short period, I was doing editing on Final Cut and I had a dual screen setup, up and I wanted to have my monitor, my review monitor on the right side and have my timeline on the left. And then I wanted to be able to zoom in and work on that. Mm-hmm. But of course you couldn't have both going at the same time right. because your timeline was taken over both monitors by that point. And I just thought, I wish you could just segregate off this one to say, This monitor here is the one I want to to put zoom on. And this one here, just leave alone. So I'm hoping this is adding more controls. I mean, like I say, I've got three words and that's all. But I, I hope that's what that is going to be.
0: Well, so since we've uh, gone sort of toward the Mac a little bit, I'll just mention one other one that I was not as excited about when I first heard about it. But then when I saw a screenshot, I was excited about it. And this is custom text sizes on the Mac. And yes. adjusting text size has been a big issue because unlike an iOS, which gave us per app settings not long ago, that lets you uh, customize the size of text for a particular app, the Mac doesn't have anything like that. And this seems like that's what you're going to get. So if it's it, we've already the, the thing you can customize on its own is like a web browser but you can't customize mail or messages or any of the other apps and they have vastly different text sizes and so this that's what this is supposed to allow you to do is that you can customize the zoom level for a particular app and i'm super excited about that
1: yeah and actually just on that point uh on the mac specific and i'm sure you've been aware of this but i see a few people already on on twitter and a mastodon saying things like do you know what?" I think I might go back to the Mac because MFI made for iPhone hearing aids will now work with the Mac.
0: That was my next one. That was my yeah, next bullet. that's brilliant, <laughs> isn't it?
1: That's just incredible. And, and also the other one for me, this is a little bit selfish, but the um, voiceover uh, voices, uh, in particular city voices, are going to be optimized uh, so that you can have them at higher speeds. But not only can you have them at higher speeds um, for voiceover, you can actually increase the, the speed of city voice. As well, so you'll be able to go up to two times on that, uh, and then also
0: decrease it. So if it's too, if if you have an issue where you would prefer it slower, you can do that. That's a great feature. Yeah, Uh, on the on the hearing aid thing, hearing aids have always been iPhone only. So even if you're an iPad user, you haven't been able to use your hearing aid with iPad. And bringing it to the Mac is 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 a is a big deal. Yeah, I think that's going to bring some people to the platform or at least keep people from leaving it. Uh, And it it seems like a no-brainer thing. It requires an Apple Silicon chip, so clearly there's some processing going on, so you're going to have to have a new Mac in order to do that. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's one of those small features, and it is down in the bullets of the press release that I think is going to be a big deal. And I, I joked to uh, an editor I was working with because the sort of standard thing they do at WWDC is they talk about a bunch of features, they all have them on slides, they demo them, or they may even just mention them in passing. And then there's a screen that they put up and that the, the presenter uses while they're talking about it while they're transitioning to something else, which is basically a and more. And I captured mm. one of those and more screens, and there's like 10 or 12 other features, including things like you were talking about with the Zoom uh, and the, the multi-monitor Zoom, that are just out there. And Apple can say, we've, we've described them, we've disclosed them, but we haven't <laughs> explained them. And there's some cool stuff on that screen that I don't know much more about than you do, but no. I'm looking forward to them because they're the kind of little tweaks that I think for a person who is a, a voiceover user or a, a Zoom user They're going to be a lot of fun to use.
1: But the the annoyance sometimes with Apple is that they will not go any further and announce anything more on that unless you can get a chance to sit down and, and quiz them on it. Or what is more likely the case is that you and I are going to have to spend time digging into this oh, and yeah. figuring this out and then telling other people. That's, That's one of the, the annoyances for. of Wod on tech, isn't it? It's just, <laughs> and actually, but, yeah, exactly. But I think what's also kind of cool is that with the, the voice control, because this is a, obviously another accessibility feature, which is great for many people who can't maybe use their device, uh, you know, physically, they need to use it with their voice, that they're bringing in a guide. Uh, and I think it's getting to that point where we're, you know, there's lots of great features, but there's no great introduction to those features. And for people who are new to this, uh, they maybe not, don't know what to do or how to use it. And I think that can be a stumbling block for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, and I think the smart thing about voice control is that it's it's one of those features that if, if you say to somebody, okay, explain voice control, go. Well, I can explain what it does, mm. but can I explain quickly how to turn it on, what it can do for me, how to use it? And that might take a little longer, and I actually have had people ask me about voice control, and I've said snarky things like, well, why don't you read my book? But what I really say is, well, here are three or four things you need to know, but you don't know enough to use it yet. So I think the guide is a great idea. Another thing they've added with voice control, which, again, seems like a minor thing if you don't use voice control, but it's phonetic editing, so it'll make it quicker and more natural to edit uh, text. Voice control editing, by the way, is really good already. I was impressed, even in the 1.0 version, how easy you can actually actually uh, dictate text and then go back and edit it with voice control. I figured that was the kind of thing that would just be really bad for a while. And it was, it was actually quite good. And so now that they've added phonetic editing, I think it's, it's even better. And, and I think that says to me, there are probably a lot more people using voice control than you and I maybe encounter oh, yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. And the guide thing, and they said this specifically, is for people who sort of suddenly find themselves using voice control. Like maybe they've just acquired a disability or somebody has said to them, you know, you can use this thing called voice control. And they're like, okay, well, how do I do that? And this also could certainly be a prototype for for other things, I mean, there there are plenty of people who have issues with okay, how do I get started with voiceover, especially on the Mac? There's a little guidance in iOS. It's not as a guide; it's not created that way. But there at least is you know hint text, and um, I, I think for other, all these interfaces that have multiple layers and de- depth of features, some sort of guidance on platform is the way to go.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't as when we become disabled we don't get this downloaded into our brains. No one sticks a USB stick in your ear and suddenly, you know, all this information just appears and you can say, oh, great, now I can use my device this way. I I wish that was true for voiceover because the amount of times I wanted to throw my phone out the nearest window, Mm -hmm. um, you know, would suggest that clearly the information, even though I had some information, it wasn't enough. And, you know, yeah, I mean, you go into the, I mean, voiceover in particular, you go into, and there are a couple of hints in there, things you can do to get started. But, you know, there's so much to it. And, you know, it's like an onion. You just keep peeling away and there's more and more and more. So, you know, you need to have a starting point. I mean, I will say I always remember using VoiceOver's guide on the Mac a few years back. and It was only 15 minutes long. And every time I put it on, I would fall asleep every single time. The guy's voice, uh, the the TTS voice on it was so boring. I would just fall asleep during it. And I thought this has got to be better than this. I don't think that guide has ever surfaced again. I think maybe they've improved it slightly. I don't know.
0: Um, Uh, there's some guy, but there's a tutorial, but I always forget, like I can follow along and do this, do this, do this. And then the next, because I'm not, and I confess I'm not a daily voiceover user. So I have a different way of interacting with it, but Mm. I forget stuff all the time. And I feel like there's a level of complexity in voiceover for the Mac that I find hard to, sort of get over that hump you know
1: but that's that's not unique i I get it because if you're not using it every day there's always that argument if you're not using it every day you'll forget that's not actually true because even if you're using it every day you're using a set of commands every day Mm -hmm. there's always one command you're thinking hang on what was that again my my one is always screen curtain what is that command (laughs) and i will say voh uh which brings up the help menu and you've got commands help in there and you go to visuals and it's right there and that's the one that's how i always find it because I can't, for some reason, I cannot get my keyboard. I use an external keyboard with my Mac Mini. And I, I cannot get my keyboard to, to perform this action. It just will not, it's, I can't even remember what it is now, but it's something ridiculous and I can't get it to do it. So I gave up and said, okay, I'll just use the help menu. And that's actually really <laughs>
0: handy if you're stuck. Well, there you go. That qualifies as a tip. Yeah, yeah, there well Before you go. we, that's it. Before we uh, move on to prognostication for the future, are there any features that you wanted to talk about that we haven't gotten to? Any of the new um, accessibility things?
1: The City one is definitely the one that I'm interested in with the voices because I, I do really like those voices. I think there's some really cool stuff coming out of um, of Apple in terms of the voices themselves and even on the on the iPhone as well. I, I don't know how it mentioned that the City voices will be optimized. I'm assuming that's across all devices, which is kind of cool. I'd like to see more of them, though, honestly. I, I love mm-hmm. the fact they brought in Eloquence last year. Um, <laughs> It's a little bit of nostalgia for me and for a lot of people. Uh, And it is a great voice because it's so light. But, you know, I'd like to see some newer ones as well. Um, There's also some stuff like, for example, um, and we just had an email into our show about this the other day. Someone saying they use the Compass app quite a lot. And they were saying that, that, you know, it'd be better if it was more customizable, if it worked a bit better with voiceover. And apparently there will be uh, voiceover improvements coming for compass and they've actually specified that here so i don't know wow, what that's that means a deep
0: cut yeah that is a very deep cut and i'm happy for compass users i'm not one uh, similarly i've had people ask me about level which is this app that'll oh, let yeah, you yeah. <laughs> and i'm like that's great and i love i don't use that app but i love that you do and i love that you care and accessibility at apple.com <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> i mean voiceover improvements for xcode i mean again these are very yeah, specific I, I love very that <laughs> Yeah. And again,
0: like that's you know four words, right? Uh, but I don't. Hey, what does that
1: mean? I know, I, what, what I does know blind programmers
0: mean? who are going to be very happy about that.
1: <laughs> I think there's a lot of people though who, and it's interesting. What's not in that list uh, is that there are a lot of bugs in VoiceOver, a lot yes, of bugs lot. and issues. And you know, you hear a lot about it. You've tested it. I'm sure you you probably know more firsthand than most about it with your testing that you do. And. I think when it comes to it, they really do need to stop, I think. As much as it's great to have new features, we would like it if you could just, Apple, could you just slow down for a bit and fix the problems that there are? I don't believe for a second that you are unable to fix these bugs. I think that there's just so much demand for new features. And also, I think there's uh, so much demand on their time because of the, the continuing updates of the entire operating system. So And, of course, across multiple operating systems, not just one. So I can imagine their job is not easy, and I don't think it is for a second. But I would love, I'd almost love a year where they just say, this year, no updates, no new features. We'll just fix what's wrong. And I think you would get so much more buy-in from the community who are already very loyal but are very frustrated as well about the, the bugs that exist.
0: Yeah, I don't know how the accessibility teams are organized. Whether there's a team that focuses on voiceover and a team that focuses on voice control and so on. But given that the voiceover additions and updates are somewhat minimal, they're nice tweaks, but they're but this is not a voiceover year. Given that no. that's the case. I hope that what's going on behind the scenes is that there's mad bug bug fixing, because as you say, yeah, those those bugs are prominent. Uh, I had the Apple Viz folks on earlier in the year to talk about their report card, which was users talking at length about voiceover bugs and about braille bugs and show-stopping bugs that really take people away from the platforms and really make people, especially people who have had a choice in the past and who who are JAWS or NVDA users and, Mm. you know, I'll just go back to Windows. And I I think it really harms Apple's goodwill with the community. And if there's a group of folks who can focus on those bugs because they are voiceover specialists, uh, I'm happy to let them do their work and not expect new features from them right now.
1: I I think that the key word I use when I talk about voiceover bugs is inconsistency that seems to be the common thread i think that runs through a lot of the it's not everything but it is a a common thread that runs through because you go into an app like messages for example and there's a command called voj which lets you jump between different sections of the app now you you use an an app like as i've been using an app like uh, called uh, ulysses which i absolutely Mm -hmm. adore uh which is a text editing app and you can use markdown on it very cool and um that VOJ command will just move you around that screen so easily. It will be so simple to move around in the messages app, which is Apple specific. It will take you to the messages content. It'll take you to the text edit field. It will not put you back in the conversations list. Oh man. (laughs) And you know, on other apps it will. Uh, And again, you can tab sometimes, and then shift tab back and end up in a different place. You can view right five times, and then when you go back five times, you end up in a different location to where you started. These are bugs. These are real issues, and that inconsistency it causes problems. And one of my bug bears at the moment is in the Finder app when you're navigating around folders. And I tend to use list view, so I just have all my list of folders, and I arrow down, and it will tell me uh, I'm on the folder for the show for the sixteenth. And I'll think, okay, I'm going to move that to my archive now because the 16th has passed So I copy it, I move it, and then I realise I've copied the 17th. And I think, well, how was how was that? How did I? I was on the 16th. And then I go back and I undo it, and I realise that when I arrow up and down, it's saying 16th and then 16th again. And then I go back and it says 16th, and then I go back down and it says 17th. And I say, ah, okay, some kind of ghosting is going on here, right? Okay, so I'm actually on the folder. But I, was, I thought I was in the folder, I'm now actually on the, the next folder, and it gets really, really confusing, and that can, you can lose trust very quickly in a system when you're working like that, because you don't know where the focus is, and uh, that's something that really has to be addressed. and that's, that's a foundational thing. And that worries me at that foundational level. You know forget websites, forget you know all this stuff you know, apps and all the rest. If the foundation isn't right, that's worrying.
0: Yeah, and I do wonder about app accessibility specifically and how the accessibility teams integrate with those app teams, because if you have an app that is, for whatever reason, been ignored as a general matter, or, okay, messages works fine, we don't have to worry about it, how that impacts... A show stopping or at least really annoying bug that's voiceover specific in an app like that. Yeah. Uh, I would hope that bug fixing still happens even if you're not overhauling an app, but there may be, del- I mean, I'm, this is wild speculation, but that there yeah. may be delays. Oh, well, we'll work on that the next time we re over when we overhaul this app, which we're planning to do in X months, years, whatever. And so. They have, that's, I think that's the big genuine pitfall with all of these companies, Apple, Google, Microsoft, creating, in addition to operating systems and hardware, they're creating all of these apps of their own. And it means that you, you have to run this multi-function shop where there's a team inside of Apple that could care less about the M1 Mac and the new hardware and the machine learning. All they're trying to do is keep messaging or music running, you mm. know, and and it's a it's a tremendous undertaking. And that's not to give them a pass by any means. I mean, in fact, it's the no, opposite. I think.
1: I think perspective is key though, right? And that perspective is important because you know when you have spent the money on a Mac and you're sitting there at that machine and it's not performing the way you expect and your friends are telling you it's the same you can absolutely bubble up and get irritated by it and think this is an absolute disgrace what what are you doing Apple? But actually, if you were to then go and buy a PC and then figure out, yeah, there's a lot of bugs in Jaws or NVDA or Narrator Mm. or whatever. And yeah, Outlook crashes from time to time more often than we'd like. And, you know, teams can be good luck with teams. Um, you know, th- these are the, the challenges we can have. And we can realise very quickly with that perspective that, yeah, th- actually there are a lot of problems that exist across all platforms. It's not unique to Apple. So we can very quickly single them out and say, hey, this isn't good enough. I think the, ch- the reason we get maybe a little bit more annoyed with Apple is because we know how committed they are to accessibility. And also VoiceOver, for example, is the only option for a screen reader. I can't just turn it off and use JAWS or Narrator or NVDA. I don't have two other options on the system. I have one. And if that doesn't work, I'm screwed.
0: Well, let's uh, jump into the prognostication portion of the program. So, WWDC is coming up. Everybody mm. in the mainstream world is talking about the rumored headset. Is Apple going to uh, produce a VR headset? And how are they going to speak about it? Will it ever? Will it ever come out? Will it come out this year? Will <laughs> it just be for developers? And obviously, I get the questions. I'm sure you do. Uh, how do you feel about this thing from a point of view of uh, this thing that has not been confirmed by Apple? Uh, from we don't from know what access- it is. <laughs> right, right. What is it? From an accessibility point of view, are, are you worried it's going to be accessible? Are you going to be able to use it? Are you excited about it? All those things that we get asked. And so I guess, what's what's your thought about the headset in general? And are you, are, I guess, are you excited by the prospect of such a thing? Are you wary? What, what, what's what's your take?
1: Okay, so here's where I'm at with this. I think if it's VR specific, I'm less excited by it because i think i don't really know how that will fit into my world um again i'm waiting to be convinced on that one because i always feel apple has something up their sleeve that initially i'll go oh it's a vr headset and then i'll listen to the presentation and go hang on what and then i'll be hooked into whatever it is they're talking about Um, if it's more of a glass type product which has got ar in it Uh, or, you know, VR even with AR capability, augmented reality and virtual reality, then fair enough. That might be something that would be cool. I think it all depends on what the device is. Am I worried about accessibility? No, because it's Apple. They will have considered this. And that's that's something we've kind of got a little bit complacent about maybe. Uh, It's funny, we talk in one sense about the challenges and the bugs and everything else, but we know that they'll have it considered accessibility, at the least considered it and implemented applications. And what we have seen in the past few years is whenever a new feature comes out, for some reason, the disability community always ends up top of the list. We always get the first features. Remember when LiDAR came along? Mm -hmm. We got people detection. Uh, You know, when, when all these new features start coming in, we start to hear about accessibility when the watch came in and we, they brought in the running feature and they said, well, hang on a minute. What well, if you don't run? Maybe you're in a wheelchair. So therefore you would want some kind of equivalent. Okay, let's do that. You know, so we're never really forgotten in this. And I think that's cool. Uh, of course, you know, people like yourself and, and me, we will know that historically that wasn't always the case with Apple, but <laughs> but they are now. And I'd rather they were at the party than, than you know, saying they're coming and never turn up. So, you know, I think this is a product which, whatever it is, will be uh, clearly of interest to all of us. But I think if it's VR specific, then I am less excited. I think that's where I am landing on this. Until we actually see it, until we we can get our, our heads around it, then I think, literally, then we can. Um, then I think we we can't say too much more. But what I think is in the will it be available this year? Probably not. I think if it is it might be very late this year maybe even next year uh, but I think we'll certainly be because I think what WWDC of course is all about development right so it's about creating the door the, the pathway for the developers to get in and get hands on with this now I could be wrong I know Tim Cook is very keen to retire and he wants this to be his product launch that is the you know the final thing essentially from him um, so maybe it will come out sooner uh, there's lots of talk and lots of rumors flying around about what when it will actually emerge as a product that we can buy. Um, and price is going to be interesting as well because, of course, we started off hearing about this as a product that would be $500. Now we're talking and hearing about $3,000. Right. So who knows?
0: Yeah, I think I agree with you about the AR versus VR thing. I, I think if it's AR... Or, and, or, if it's something that actually improves accessibility. I've started Mm. talking about accessibility in two ways. One is, how do you make a thing that is inherently not accessible, accessible? And the other is, how do you use technology to make your world more accessible with this device, which is what people detection and door detection do. They, they take a technology that exists and they apply it to a need that somebody has because they have a disability. Personal voice is the same kind of thing, which is different than voiceover makes it possible for you to read a piece of glass or with your ears. And so the extent to which this device, whatever it is, makes the world more accessible that's probably the point at which I'm going to be like, oh, my God, how am I going to save up $3,000? But anything other than that, if it's gaming, if it's fitness, if it's even watching entertainment, I'm like, uh, I can wait, you know? Um, yeah. And and I do think you're right. I think accessibility is a given. I think I am sometimes reluctant to, reluctant to say that in mainstream contexts, because when people hear you say, oh, I'm not worried about accessibility as a as a baseline i think then they sort of move on to the next thing because they think mm. that accessibility is not something we need to talk about but this is a safe space steven so i'm just going to say yeah, yeah, yeah yes i think it will absolutely be accessible to the extent it's possible does it mean that i as a person with low vision am i going to get the same vr experience somebody who has typical vision will probably not is that making me sad no Um. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to be. I've sort of gotten out of the business of prognosticating about cost or when it was going to, when it's going to come or whether Mm. this is Tim Cook's retirement tour or what, because there are many, many people who either know more or think they know more than I do. My primary. Think they know more, I think is the phrase. Right. Well, of course, because that's what (laughs) what makes a pundit. That's what makes a pundit, right? Yeah. But my contribution to the discussion is asking the questions about how accessibility is implemented and whether there are features in it that make the world more accessible. Do you integrate something like uh, a Be My Eyes kind of functionality or a, an Ira functionality or seeing AI functionality so that I can put this thing on my head and I can encounter the world and get more information from the world the real world or the VR world, I suppose, but probably mostly the real world that that makes my life better. And, you know, that's the point at which it's interesting to me personally uh, as somebody who covers accessibility. There are a lot of interesting thoughts about, well, how do we, you know, if we're talking about people, using some sort of virtual touchscreen or mouse or some sort of interaction with this thing, how is that stuff going to work from an accessibility point of view? Uh, I don't know. And it may, I may be in this situation where, like, I'm not the target for the device, but I'm going to have to figure that stuff out in order to cover it from an accessibility perspective. And that's the thing that scares me right now, frankly.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, if it is, I mean... Uh, I know a lot of people think this is VR specific and they may well be right. And it it may well be, but I just don't get it with Apple. That's the thing. I keep going back to this point and until I'm proven wrong or, you know, until I'm told otherwise, I just don't understand what Apple would do with VR. It's never been a thing I can understand Apple being involved in. I mean, it's not, Apple is not a platform for gaming. I know you can play games on the devices, but I don't think it's a platform for gaming. And this is not going to be for iPad, right? It's going to be something that might be connected through the phone. Okay, maybe it will be. I, I honestly, I don't get it. I think AR is something they talk about all the time. And, that and that's to me implemented. You is, can see
0: examples now of yeah. AR. So it's always easier that that to understand sense? the technology that exists. Like VR is a thing that exists inside of a HoloLens or inside of a, a MetaQuest device. I don't have those things. So VR doesn't exist for me.
1: Mm. Well, I tried VR. I mean, I, I tried it. I had a bit more vision a couple of years back, and yeah. I did try it, not to any great success, uh, and certainly not for any long period of time. Uh, and it was good. It was very, you know, enjoyable to be inside this world. And, you know, I guess, I mean, it was just the same bloody world to me that it is, you know, now. But, you know, it was still, it was kind of interesting to be in a different space with it and all that. But I just i I keep going back to okay, but what would I do with this on Apple right am I going to do final right. cut on this um you know am I going I to mean, be editing a movie I- on it it just doesn't make sense
0: I, I see consuming entertainment. Like, I uh, they have these devices. If you go to CSUN or if you go to another one of the accessibility conferences, you can see these devices that are based on Samsung headsets, and then you get a phone, and you can put this thing on your head, and you can basically interact with an interface. It's mostly for, for entertainment or for magnification. Mm-hmm. So you wear this giant headset, and you can look around the convention floor, and you can read signs if you have low vision, or you can watch – entertainment programming. I can see putting a thing like this on my head and watching some sort of Apple TV Plus programming. Watching television in a way that where I get as much visual information as possible is a challenge, and I have ways of doing that, and I have places I have to sit in my living room to make that work. I would, and especially because if you use some sort of a headset, the best way to use it is if you're sitting in a comfortable chair and perhaps leaned back so that the weight of the headset isn't an issue. I would I would do that. I wouldn't pay $3,000 to do it, but it would be fun. That's not VR. That's just, oh, it could be, I suppose. But it's mm-hmm. basically just consuming entertainment. Maybe you have a nice sound system in your ear holes, you know, with AirPods Max or something like that, and you have uh, both uh, reality-based programming and virtual reality-based programming in there. I can see that sort of being entertaining, but I can't see buying a device like that explicitly for that purpose. And I think you're right about gaming. I think Apple has never proven that they are a gaming destination. They have arcade, people play casual games of various kinds on their, on their Mac, on their phones and their iPads. Mostly I said Macs, but I didn't mean it. Uh, <laughs> no, and, no one plays so games I think, on a Mac. <laughs> right. I, and I think people don't, if, if they're going to spend money on a gaming device, it's going to be a console. It's going to be a souped-up PC. It's going yes. to be the monitor for that. It's going to be a Quest headset. Uh, Apple has kind of a big case to make if that's what they want to focus on.
1: Yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what they bring. Uh, I, I, I I'm i intrigued don't... how they
0: thread the needle. Like, what are they going to announce? What are they going to promise? And when are they going to promise it by? As you say, it's a developer-focused event that's had more and more non-developer-y things used to. All they would announce at WWDC is we have betas for this new operating system. These are the features we're coming up with. These are the developer kits out there. And now Mm. they introduce products. I remember them announcing the Mac Pro, which obviously is a developer-friendly machine, and the giant displays and all this kind of stuff. And so WWDC is this weird hybrid between a developer's conference and the mid-year point where Apple announces new stuff, and I think that's probably become accelerated because now both Google and Microsoft have mid-year events and Apple is kind of the third. And so you have Google I.O. and then you have Microsoft Build and then you have uh, WWDC. And it's this month long rollout of what's the roadmap? What are the new products for the next year? And sometimes that's focused on developing developers and sometimes it's focused on you know products.
1: Wouldn't it be hilarious if they just announced a 15 inch MacBook here?
0: Yeah, just go. That's all. It's the it. MacBook Air. Go home. Good night, everyone.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it for me. I don't no want more. One more by thing. The... <laughs> no, neither do I. Neither do I. I'd like. I mean, i like you... to see maybe a bigger iMac eventually. I think for people that could be useful. I think the twenty-four inches. A, it's a really weird iMac in a lot of ways. It's like. The iMac has just been forgotten about, and I don't know. I, I never liked yeah, that design.
0: I I will say that for me, the 24 inch screen is perfect. I get lost in a bigger screen, and mm. so I from a from a sort of an underdog point of view, you go 24 inch iMac. But I understand that that's not what people. I'm surprised there's not like a 30 inch iMac because I mean, yeah. they've built big displays and the like, and I think they should. I think what happens though, whenever they build big iMacs, the little ones get left behind. The 21 inch iMac for years was not updated. New Nearly as quickly as the 27 and so i kind of hated that that existed and when that the was a formal i, thing I though, actually it? almost bought a 24 inch imac right out of the gate and i didn't for financial reasons only uh but i like that little guy i really do
1: but it is formal it really yeah. is you, you go into the store and you see the 27 next to the 21 at the time and you'd think i'm not buying the 21 it just looks too small it's I pathetic i have twenty one.
0: I want, I want, well, it's like I said, I want the 24. I have a 20. My favorite monitor is a 24 inch monitor. It makes me happy. Entirely yeah. individualistic, low vision girl point of view. But, you know.
1: Well, again, but that's the point, right? They don't seem to have the choice open at the moment. Yeah. You know, if you did want the larger. So that's interesting. It's a bit, I guess we, we're in a really awkward cycle as well because of the whole, what coming out of the pandemic and the supply chain issues. We probably would be in a very different place had COVID not happened in terms of where we are that's with Apple true. products.
0: Yeah. And and especially I think it's really affected like the silicon transition has gone apace, but it does feel like they would have more new platforms to surround it if they had not been stymied by the pandemic. So they're continuing to do their chip upgrades, but I'm sure they'd like to have that 15 inch MacBook Air. They'd like to have a big iMac. Maybe they'd like to have a big Mac Pro. Uh, it, It does feel like the chips are sort of outpacing their ability to come up with new products to put them in. Anything else you're yeah. looking forward to from WWC or hoping for, just like wish list kind of stuff?
1: Um, well, I suppose I guess the one that stands out a little bit is Watch Ten. I think is the new S version that's coming out, and only because I'm hearing that it's going to be completely revived. They're going to give it a, a new shine up, and I'd be interested to see what that means. Um, you know, I must admit the watch is a really weird product in a lot of ways because as much as I love it, and I do, I continually look at it thinking, what are you for? What do I do with this thing? And every it seems like every day I open up my my RSS reader and I see another app that's been pulled from it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I, see, I hear even that WhatsApp is coming on to Wear OS and I'm thinking, who uses that? <laughs> so, you know, hang on. We're putting it on a platform people don't care about and you're not putting it on this one and it seems everybody's walking around with an Apple Watch on. I just don't get it. So I don't know if that interface is actually working. I really don't know. And it doesn't seem that the app developers are keen to develop for it. But it is a great device and, of course, super accessible. But if it ain't usable for anything in particular, then I don't know what what its long-term future is. So maybe this will be a bit of a a reimagining.
0: Maybe. I mean, it, it is interesting about app developers pulling out. I guess that has to do with just like, especially as you have different size devices and, you know, do, do I develop a Mac and iOS and a watch app? What do I do? That's probably a challenge. And I, yeah, I mean, I I like my Apple Watch too, but I don't, the, the most complicated thing I do on my Apple Watch is I occasionally will dictate a text message. I mean, I'm not going to write email. I'm not going to have a call I, I use timers all the time. I will mm-hmm. call Siri sometimes. Uh, and I, I know for, they, they have focused it more on things like fitness, which you, you do, you need in an app. You need to say, well, if you're going to do fitness in the Apple ecosystem, you got to have the watch. And, uh, I, I do not spend as much time on my fitness as I should. And if I did, I'd probably use my Apple Watch more. But it is kind of true that, <laughs> you know, I might have. 30 apps on my Apple Watch. How many of them do I actually use? Very few. And sometimes I do, I go in there and I prune them out. I'm just like, I'm not using this. I'm not using drafts on my Apple Watch. I'm sorry. I'm not reading the drafts I've already made. I'm not creating new ones. Could I? I guess so, but my phone is in my pocket. Anyway, so yeah, the question is, are we going to get simply new interface to sort of take account of the fact that the complication system as it is, is not serving people's needs? Or are they going to do something that makes it differently compelling. I don't know. Honestly, I mean, I don't, it's not something I worry about a great deal. I guess just because I feel like my watch is a utility. I'm not looking for it to do more for me, but Apple has to be if they want to keep selling these things.
1: Well, that's that's exactly right. I, I think maybe sometimes we put too much on the device. Maybe, you know, but these are not cheap devices. I mean, I bought the Apple right. Watch Ultra this year. Oh, did um, you
0: really? Oh, wow, I nice. Did
1: Well, I like a big watch. I've always exactly. liked big watches. I mean, I'll be honest, it's hilarious. I have screen curtain on. So it's completely pointless. <laughs> you have
0: this giant black screen on your arm. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and the amount of people that think my watch is broken. I've had people touch it and then get the excuse of the Excuse me, sir. Do you realize
0: that your watch is broken?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, they touch it. I've had someone touch it. And then, of course, it talks when you touch it, right? So yeah. it, it goes, it tells you the time. And they, they immediately freak out. And I think, you know, if I was a TikToker, I'd be making TikTok videos about this moment in my life yes. all yes. the time. Just people randomly touching my watch and then getting terrified by it. Um, but yeah, there are always, always people thinking it's broken, but I do love it. I love the volume in it. I love the, the, the quality of the speaker in it. Um, the record functions, I mean, even just as a note taker, it's brilliant. And and to be fair, even if you go back to the Apple Watch SE, you're still going to get a great product. Um, that's the thing, even at, even at the low end of the market, and I don't think you could even call it that, but it is the cheaper end of the market. You get great devices with Apple. And, you know, I always say this to people. You don't have to buy new. There's loads of renewed stuff. Go to Amazon. You get tons of great stuff on renewed. And you don't even have to spend all the money to on, you know, a brand new product. And, and certainly don't need to buy a new one every year. We do because we're, you know, mad people that do this for fun. <laughs> um, but, you know, most people don't and, and won't.
0: I I actually uh, talked about when the SE and the Series Nine came out. I always lose track of where we're at. Whatever the latest watch iterate, yeah, the the Nine and the Ultra and the SE came out. There's actually very little functional difference between the Nine and the SE, except for very specific things. And and my argument was, unless screen size is an issue, which ironically, of course, in my case it would have been there's no reason not to buy the SE. And I, yeah, people have said, why don't you get the Ultra because of the giant screen? I said, because I have tiny little wrists and I don't want a giant watch on my arm like that. Uh, I want the biggest screen possible. But if I was just looking at watch features... I'd probably just say, you know, go get the SE unless there's a specific thing that you have to have that's on the 9, but there are very few of those. And and as much grief as companies get for, you know, planned obsolescence and stuff like that, I am wearing, Stephen, an Apple Watch Series 4, and I'm happy. Now, will I want to get one in the next two years? Absolutely. I bought my Series 4 used from a friend. It has worked well. Oh, there you go, yeah. Would Would I like the battery to last longer? You bet I would. I bought, it's a lar- it's the larger Series 4. So I know that if I get a Series 9, I can get a slightly bigger face. And so I'm I, I am a big fan of buying the lagging year. So the brand new thing comes out and there's some amount of difference, but not a terribly large amount of difference. And I buy the best thing from the lagging year that I can buy, whether I buy it from refurb at Apple or whether I buy it from a friend. And because I always have some friend who wants the latest, greatest and would love nothing better than to sell their old device. So I'm happy exactly. to watch Exactly.
1: Well, I have got a ton of things I can sell you, Shelley. So that's okay. not a problem. I have a list. I, I do I not want
0: your iPhone 6. I'm sorry. I don't. Oh, so <laughs> I've
1: actually got an iPhone 4 if you want one of those. No, no. I'm holding on to that one. I've kept, I, I wish I'd kept, I had the original iPhone and I wish I'd kept it. I don't know How why I traded it in.
0: I bought a 3GS when I was doing my project on the the develop, when voiceover came to the iPhone and so I had to have a 3GS so that I could both do pictures and also show what voiceover was like back in the day. I paid $25 for it at a garage sale. <laughs> wow. So, there you go. And it works, you know, sort <laughs> yeah. of a little bit. Uh, well, Stephen, anything else you want to talk about before we get going? Because I feel like uh, the next time I'm talking about Apple things, it will be post-WWDC <laughs> and we'll be, you know, winding down and analyzing all the things Tim Cook said and how many times he said, we're excited to share. Yeah. Uh, but what what should we talk about before WWDC so we get those predictions in?
1: Well, I think this is definitely the year to see something that is headset related, whether it be Apple Glass, Apple VR, whatever it is. Uh, I think that is definitely going to be on show. What that looks like in terms of product, I don't know. We'll probably see a product, but I think it will be unlikely to be available next day um, as much as I would like it, and it probably will be rather expensive. I think we'll definitely see a 15-inch MacBook Air. Why? I don't know, but we will, I imagine. I mean, to me, that's a press release drop, surely. I mean, why would you even bother? I mean, they dropped the Apple uh, Final Cut uh, Pro and Logic Pro and iPad uh, as a press release and I think they could easily have done that with the 15 inch MacBook Air it's not that big yeah. a deal um, right. unless the only thing I'm thinking is unless they're going to develop a new processor for it and maybe they'll yeah, make if they put it, it on an M2 or something, or something. But that, which yeah. seems
0: weird and unlikely but I said that but then they already put the M2s on the Mac Mini so well
1: that's saying? right yeah 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 and you know it's getting to a point and I've felt this for a long time that it's getting to the stage where these machines are so powerful now that really, I mean, what else do you need uh, you know you can buy an M1 base level mac mini with eight gig ram and you'll be fine you would need no more than that ever i love my mac mini by the way i absolutely adore it and uh, i will say that the upgraded versions with the m2 chip really gave it the kick i think that it needed and um yeah i'm loving mine i don't even if a mac studio came out tomorrow i wouldn't bother
0: I think my next Mac is going to be a Mac Mini because I have a, uh, this, this recording machine here in the studio that is long in the tooth, and I can tell how long it takes apps to load. I'm thinking, you know, I should just get a Mac Mini and put it in here because I've got a monitor, and uh-huh. I think Mac Minis are adorable. So that's, that's all the more reason to buy one.
1: My well, Stephen Scott, thank
0: computer. you so much for coming on to Parallel. Again, it's always a delight to talk to you and hear your perspective. Tell people where they can find you online.
1: I am all over the place, quite literally. Uh, So you'll get me on uh, social media at Double Tap or at Double Tap On Air, depending on your choice of social network. Twitter is at Double Tap On Air, Mastodon at Double Tap. Uh, You can get me uh, on the podcast every single day. Yes, every day. uh, Bar is Sunday. We like to rest on a Sunday. So you get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Double Tap. And uh, you can even check out our TV version of the show uh, called Double Tap TV, funnily enough. You'll get that on AMI-tv every Tuesday 8 p.m. Eastern and on the AMI-tv app and on YouTube. Search for Double Tap On Air. I
0: think that covers it. You're everywhere. It's hard to avoid you, but that's is. good because you make good shows, and every once in a while, I have to turn on my video camera so I can go on TV, and it's very alarming, but I only do it for you, Stephen. Oh, you're very kind.
1: <laughs> well, you'll be back with us soon. I know you will.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you can keep up with this podcast at Relay.fm slash Parallel. You can also buy the first Accessibility Sprinkles shirt. Just look for the merch link on the sidebar at the Parallel site on Relay.fm. You can subscribe to the show. You can send us feedback. You can also follow us on the socials. We're Parallel Pods on Twitter, and at relayfm.social on Mastodon. We are parallel. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back uh, in less than two weeks because we have this is a special episode. So we'll be back even sooner with some uh, Google coverage. Bye now.